So basically what you're saying is, this is crazy. This is so awesome. Somewhere, maybe in some closet, is an old grab bag with the scratch off. And if you scratch that off and type in this mnemonic phrase in a MetaMask, you will have one of these. And if you have one of these, most likely at a minimum, it's probably a half a million dollars or more in value. Yep. That's insanity. <laughs> and, and, no one, and no one took this seriously. Today's episode is with John Crane, CEO and founder of Super Rare, which is a digital art market on Ethereum. I got to say, I'm a big fan of Super Rare. They represent some of the most sought after NFT artists, and they put a huge emphasis on quality of artists over quantity. So as an artist, you just can't show up, create an account and start minting. You have to go through an application process that includes submitting a portfolio, a video introduction. It's pretty hard to get in, but it's something that's changing. They're putting a lot more of the approval process back into the hands of the community, which you'll hear about during the show. We also discussed the differences between open and curated marketplaces, AI artwork, which some has gone missing, which is a fun little section of the show. His thoughts on splitting up NFTs into smaller ownable chunks, something called fractionalization, generative art, open editions, his favorite artists, and a whole lot more. So let's get into it. This is John Crane, CEO and founder of Super Rare. So, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, Kevin, thanks for having me. I'm really pumped to say that I actually bought my first Super Rare just a week ago. I had been an, an admirer from the outside looking in for a while, but I actually got an X copy one of one which was just a dream. So yeah. I am, I'm like, a, I'm, I'm all in now. I love it. I mean, legendary piece. It looks like it's a super token 991. So it's like a, a very OG X copy. Yeah, that's really interesting that people are, are starting to and collectors are starting to look at kind of the earlier, the better, obviously, in the history of an artist. And I know some of the very first pieces that were ever kind of minted and created on your platform are, are just really sought after. But I, I'd love to just start with like the origin story. I mean, you, when looking back at when you started this company, like it was not the cool or hip thing to start an NFT curation platform. What was going on during that time? Yeah, it, it's actually super funny to look back. Like even early, like early on talking to folks, like we're like, we thinking we're like, maybe we'll raise some money. People were just like, First of all, crypto is dead. It's crypto winter 2018. And like also art, like these are just like two of the worst ideas I've kind of ever heard. So it's just pretty funny historical context. It was one of those ideas that kind of just like struck like a bolt of lightning. But at the same time, there was, I had a pretty meandering path that led me, you know, led me to that place where the lightning hit. I had always been interested in art and in college. Actually, the reason I learned to program was because someone showed me processing and they were like, yo, you're really into doodling. Like you should try doodling with your computer. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. You can draw like, you know, a thousand circles in one second if I learned to code. So that like pushed me into this path of like creative coding. I ended up working in advertising in New York when I finished my undergrad. And that was a lot of fun kind of at the same time being new in the big city. I was going to lots of meetups, just trying to like meet people and learn things. One of those meetups was the New York Bitcoin meetup, kind of started to fall down the crypto rabbit hole. Eventually, I learned about Ethereum. 
and got so excited about Ethereum. I was like, all right, I'm going to jump, jump fully into crypto full time. So I worked with Consensus, which was an Ethereum venture studio in, in Bushwick for about two years. And while I was there, I learned a lot. And one of the things that I was thinking about while I was there was like, I'm surprised there's not more, you know, social apps being built in this space. We have this new thing for programmable money, uh, you know, new platform, but a lot of the early, you know, products that were, you know, being built were very sort of finance focused, which was, you know, not a background that I had. And so you just like, Things were percolating. I wanted to do something more consumer related. And while I was working at Consensus, I had friends in New York who were trying to make it as artists. I was learning more about how like art, the art industry worked as a business. Felt like there was some pretty big, you know, opportunities for improvement, let's say. And so when I saw the development happening with NFTs, like a standard specifically being designed, I got really excited. You know, I, I had seen what happened with ICOs and that was you know a very simple standard the ERC20 standard super straightforward but at the same time very powerful so when i saw the development work happening with ERC721 i got very excited and was like holy shit this could be the technology that makes it so you know generative art which i was personally very into like could be collectible and you could essentially build a whole economy on top of this thing like we haven't really been able to before like up and right even you know today digital art's still a small set of like a small subset of contemporary art and so that was kind of the aha moment and yeah just it was essentially off to the races so like we prototyped and shipped the first version of the app me and my three or two co-founders, April 2018. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. There, there, it was for me, I, it was the kind of crypto punks when I first saw that happen. And I was like, oh, whoa, like this could be applied to more things. But honestly, like you were smart. I forgot about it. I just like, I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I just moved on to other things and you started building, which is, which is awesome. Who was the first artist to appear on Super Rare? Yeah, so the first artist on Super Rare was Robbie Barat. Who, That's uh, who I thought it was, yeah. Yeah, so but yeah, shout out to uh, Art Gnome slash Jason Bailey for uh, connecting us with Robbie. I think we were kind of like right time, right place. We'd been talking to Jason. He'd been giving us some product feedback. And actually, the reason we deployed the smart contracts to the Ethereum mainnet is because Jason hit us up and was like, hey, if you guys are ready to go Monday next week, like I'm ready to go and I'm going to buy this art. And we were like, fuck yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, we like, it was just like all weekend fixing bugs. And yeah, then it was, yeah, I think it was Monday or Tuesday. We were all like all on a video call and like it was the first mainnet transaction, which was super exciting. Yeah. And so Robbie's story is just a crazy one and that Robbie's no longer creating art, right? And and do you kind of want to talk about some of that early AI stuff? Like what's the history there? I, I'm sure I probably don't know just bits and pieces of it. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, really interesting. You know, Robbie is an incredible artist and he's I mean, he's still creating art, just like less of it. He's experimenting with different mediums. Like, he, you know, he's on a whole whole artistic journey doing really interesting things. But when we were first introduced to him, 
he had pioneered this you know, GAN method, which is now super popular. There's a bunch of different people who've kind of leveraged the early code that he wrote, which was all open source. And yeah, so he was you know, sort of like child prodigy, right? He was like in high school doing this very pioneering AI work, was also super interested in art and trained his model on these, you know, public domain uh, nude uh, paintings, essentially. And the output was just incredible. It's like, I don't know if you've seen Super Token Number One, uh, but it's, yeah, super interesting. And it was like, holy shit, like this is the exact technology that can support, you know, this type of art, right? Like you now have this digital object that totally is a painting and like in my mind like the the one of ones are very much just like a digital painting and so anyway, that was very exciting then there was kind of the controversy afterwards i don't know if you read like christie's early on sold uh, a physical print that this artist uh, it was an art collective in paris had kind of used robbie's code base and there was some controversy around whether or not it was uh, with his blessing uh, but it was, it was like in the new york times and is super fascinating backstory there. Yeah, it's crazy. So this would have been considered the first AI generated on uh, art on Ethereum. Is that correct, to the best of your knowledge, or is it just is because he was a pioneer and and was one of the people that actually minted? Uh, I, I I'm missing a piece of the history there. Is that is he the first? I think he's the. To my knowledge, he would be the first to have minted something on Ethereum. I wouldn't. I don't know that it was maybe there could have been folks doing things with AI previously, but I think definitely the first GAN based NFT, yeah. let's say. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy because you know, you go and look back at at that collection and it sounds like he's since hit pause on on creating anything new. But some of those, I mean, at a minimum, you're talking, I don't know what the last sale was, six, seven hundred thousand dollars or something like that for for one of these. And some of them are 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 a little weird and disturbing, and some of them are, are really beautiful. Some of the ones that he did, some with more trees and things like that, just uh, really fascinating pieces of, of art. Yeah, I feel lucky to have a landscape in my collection. And yeah, I so especially, I don't know if you've seen any of the ones that were, it was, it was the story of the lost Robbies now, or like, this was at July 2018, we went to the Christie's event in London, kind of like airdropped physical like ethereum 300 seat. right wasn't it yeah 300 or okay three exactly 300 so yeah well the lore is pretty fun the backstory yeah. is very cool yeah we got to expand on that one a little bit so essentially think of christie's for those listening like tr- very traditional auction house they approached you all right and said hey can we give some away as kind of like a fun airdrop thing you'll have to claim them is is this right so far well, so they actually, again, approached Jason Bailey and he hit us up and was like, what can we do that would be creative and interesting? And Robbie had been working on you know, some different GIFs. And we were like, what if we took a frame from this GIF and that's what we gave out? So instead of like one whole GIF piece of art, it was sort of the, like, you could almost think about them as like fractions or still frames from this GIF. And they were like, great, sounds cool. You guys can figure out how to do it. And so, yeah, we basically, again, it was, there was some late night sort of you know, testing, trying to get the uh, the scripts to work properly. But it was also funny because like really no one 
like the whole conference was about blockchain, but it was sort of just like, eh, this NFT thing, it's probably not that important. So like, we like barely even got a mention. I think Jason was the only, the only mention to the audience was when he was on a panel and was like, Hey, everyone, don't forget to get the swag bag, which has this Ether card in it. With It was like a branded Ether card thing. But That's so was, funny. So so 300 of those bags, if you had the Ether card inside of that bag, was that like you, you would scan it with your phone? What would you do to redeem one of these? Yeah. So they the way it worked, we ahead of time shipped them all 300 of the cards. And it's kind of like a scratch off. So you basically scratch off a 10 word or 12 word seed phrase that's on the back of the card. Yeah. So we, and we knew uh, all the addresses ahead of time. So we like went through, transferred these 300 NFTs to each address and you can like load it up into MetaMask and kind of claim it that way. Uh, Yeah. That is, so how many of the 300 were claimed? So we, we put out an article and at that point there had been 12 and I think today there have been about 18 claimed. That So basically what you're saying is, this is crazy. This is so awesome. You're saying that somewhere, maybe in some closet, is an old grab bag with the scratch off. And if you scratch that off and type in these this mnemonic phrase in the MetaMask, you will have one of these. And if you have one of these, most likely at a minimum, it's probably a half a million dollars or more in value. Yep. That's insanity, <laughs> and, and no one and no one took this seriously. There was only now. There's only been 18 out of 300. Yeah, it it was. I mean, we were all excited. It was still you know really early. I think at that point we were the volume on Super Air was about like I don't know maybe I'll say 10,000 just to be generous with the our volume at the time. It was pretty low, and so they were like, yeah, early. It was definitely tough. I think. Maybe rightfully so. The, the larger establishments were very skeptical. They're like, who are these guys? They don't really have... They have backgrounds in like design and tech, but like this, it's not really art. And so we had to stick around for a, a while before they started taking our phone calls. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting to think about what you have created in that you went probably a different route and, and that I would have taken it. I just think from a product person's point of view... Imagine you have this new industry that is just like you, your point, no one was really taking it seriously. You said, we're going to do curation and really do, you know, when people think of super rare, they think of like the best of the best. You've done a fantastic job curating your artists that are on the platform. I would imagine if you're in the early days, there is a, there's probably, uh, there must have been a discussion being like, hey, why don't we just open this up to everyone so anyone can publish their own stuff on here? Why did you keep it and what was the kind of like insight that you had to say, we want to make this about a little bit more of a curated of approach versus just a, a free-for-all? Yeah, so there were a couple different thoughts and one of which was just, we had essentially, you know, like we failed at raising any money. So it was just the three of us working nights and weekends trying to like ship new features. And so... The initial thought was like that it would be more open and we were like, well, we don't have time to build any kind of like moderation tooling or anything. And it's just the three of us. So like if something horrible gets put up, it's just going to be like sitting there on the website until like someone can like 
go check on it yeah, at midnight later tonight. So we're like, well, we'll just have this an application form. And then as the tooling gets more robust, we can open it up a little bit more. And so that was sort of like just the initial state. And then mm. a- after a while, we were like, actually, maybe we don't really want to open it up. Like in our opinion, there's going to be, you know, billions, if not trillions of NFTs and curation is really going to be what's valuable here. Like we don't, it was like our opinion that it wouldn't evolve like YouTube where it's like, you just want to have as much content as possible. Like obviously art is content, but I think like the way it's displayed and search and discover is a little bit different than like some other content platforms might be. And so, you know, partially luck. And then we kind of realized like, actually we, what we think will be very valuable is really good curation. Yeah, so. I agree with that. That, that, I mean, it's, it's anyone armed with, with Photoshop or any other tool can mint an NFT. And especially when gas prices go down, it's going to be easier and easier and more affordable, which is great in so many ways. But also it just means that there's a little bit of analysis paralysis and a flood to the market. And there needs to be some experts that kind of focus the lens a bit and help or, or not. Like that can be one way to approach it or it can be another way in saying like, I do like the cool cats and the crazy, like fun, more meme style, like NFTs. And I think there's like a little bit of, uh, you kind of choose your platform depending on what you're looking for. Would you, would you agree with that? Is that kind of the way you see this unfolding? Yeah, I absolutely think there's space for both. I think it's, uh, yeah, it, there's certain times where it's like you want to go experience greater levels of chaos. And then sometimes you want to experience something more, maybe more thoughtful is the right word. But I certainly think it's a massive, you know, it's a massive playing field and there's going to be all sorts of different you know, categories. And I've certainly seen it go the other way where there'll be artists on other platforms that start to gain some notoriety and then they do an application process with Super Rare and they're accepted. And that's like an additional stamp of approval. Is that a common thing that's starting to happen with you all? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, it's been very interesting to see just like a kind of organic community growth around it. Like in the Discord, often it's like people will be discussing kind of like the application process and you'll see someone mention like, hey, like I actually applied twice. So like, and you know, like it took three times before I went through. So like, don't worry, keep keep it up. So yeah, it's been super interesting to see just the the space and the community kind of grow and evolve. So you just launched something epic. Uh, unpack for me the big announcement. Yeah, absolutely. So we just came out with the Super Air two announcement, and as part of that, we're launching a DAO for the artists and collectors and curators that are part of our community. And we also did a retroactive airdrop. So, you know, inspired by a Uniswap and, you know, other, other platforms, uh, basically based on all the usage that artists and collectors had done on super Air up until July 21st. So 721 was our, you know, cheeky cutoff date, uh, doing an airdrop to everybody who's been a super rare user uh, to date. Okay, so that will that means as a they will get the rare token, which is your new governance token. Can you walk me through exactly what that token is being used for? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's a it's a governance token. So the DeFi crowd will probably be you know pretty familiar with that. But you know, in thinking about you know what makes Super Rare special, what do people actually care about on the platform? It really comes down to the curation, and so that's kind of why we're positioning it as a curation token. And actually, the first governance use case is going to be around you know, these things we're calling super rare spaces, which are essentially, you know, specific parts of super rare. It's a new product feature, but we're going to allow, you know, art collectives, uh, galleries, kind of whoever wants to run a space to join, like to come on to super rare and kind of curate their own uh, roster of artists. So we think it's super exciting. It's going to really open up the diversity of curatorial voices on the platform. So it's like a big part of what we wanted to achieve is like, how do we take this thing that's working and really scale it up? So it's like, you know, giving people access to the tools we've built, uh, but who have, you know, kind of like different opinions about, you know, what type of art, what types of art they want to showcase. So people will be voting on the next space that gets listed on Supra. Oh, cool. So Okay, let me try and figure that if I make sure I have this uh, in my head correctly. So people use the governance token to vote in a new space. So like an applicant will come in and say, let's just say it's a local gallery in San Francisco, and they represent or they know a handful of artists and their artists all want to go on and, and make NFTs for the first time. Are you, you then kind of voting in that gallery to have the right to offer their artists to the world? Is that how I should be thinking about it? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly correct. So we're going to have a, a council who helps create a shortlist. So they're working with people who want to submit proposals, trying to like really build out a robust, detailed proposal. And then once... And you, we've kind of drawn on some of the models we that we saw work pretty well, like with, you know, Synthetics has a model similar to this, where the council kind of helps filter through what are like valid things to discuss and what aren't. And so we're going to have the council help filter proposals and then token holders will get to vote on it's going to run on a bi-weekly cadence so the idea is that once launched there'll be a new space launching every 2 weeks and that's what token holders are going to be voting on is so like whichever space is going to launch next yep gotcha and when a space launches let's say let's say it's a gallery is there a additional kind of verification that has to go into when the artists are then accepted to fall underneath that gallery? Will they be globally searchable across the entire platform? Or how does that work? Will they only be confined to within that gallery? Yeah, so they'll be confined to within the gallery. So the idea is that spaces are more or less independent. And one of the models I use is like a subreddit where you like each subreddit can have kind of like its own rules, its own, you know, mission, what's it trying to like bring forward to the world. And so space operators will be able to curate their own roster of artists. Uh, so they'll still you know, show up in, they'll be searchable across the platform. I think just really... They won't have, you know, kind of like we have the sort of like the sovereign artist concept that we announced as well. So they won't have access to that specific tool set. I see. Gotcha. And then as a, a space creator, let's just say you're a gallery, what is the relationship like between that artist and the gallery? Are they kind of bound or tied to that gallery in that 
is there a revenue share going on? Is that defined in the settings somewhere? How does that work? Yeah, so the way I'm envisioning it, I'm imagining that artists will potentially be parts of many different spaces and you have the glitch art space or I think, so I'm imagining there'll be cross-pollination and uh, space operators are going to be able to take a cut uh, kind of like whatever they want you know, so they'll work that out with the artists that they're working with. Um, so there will be a fee that kind of goes back to the DAO but then uh, the space operator can also charge fees as well. Crazy. So this is pretty cool. You're essentially turning every space operator into a promoter in some sense. Like they don't necessarily have to be a gallery. Like you can imagine, like there's some really famous, you know, crypto kind of not crypto or NFT kind of influencers that are out there um, that could say, hey, I'm going to work up a deal with Xcopy and with a few of these others and and kind of have their own curated. And so in some sense, well, I'll just take myself, for example, you know, a year from now, you could come to a, a Kevin Rose kind of space inside of Super Rare and see my favorite artist listed there. And then if a purchase is made, then some percentage goes back to the person that's doing the curation. It, that That's correct? Yep. Yeah, exactly. And you, you really hit the nail on the head. I th- like one of the challenges we've you know, started running into is, you know, we've been scaling up the platform, more artists, more collectors. You know, we really can't do an amazing job promoting every single piece of art that comes out, right? Like right. Our, our vision for Super Air is to be, uh, you know, a massive platform for crypto art, right? Like you can find every artist, every piece of art, right? It's like, it has it all. And so I think promoting is the exactly perfect way to think about this. Like there are people who have, you know, great tastes, have, you know, something they, you know, they want to curate and show the world that like, they really know who are the best up and coming glitch artists or, you know, just like, these are my favorites. And so like giving those people tools in an area where, you know, we could see like, as more artists were coming onto the platform, like just bandwidth wise, like we can only send out so many tweets and it's like, right. If we're tweeting every second, each tweet has less and less impact. So like, right. Yeah. That's, this is brilliant. And bravo, like, this is fantastic. Like, it it just makes all the sense in the world. The the issue, like, you know, we talked about this before. I've mentioned this many times on on several shows. In some sense, it is amazing that anyone and everyone can be an NFT artist, but it's also means that anyone and everyone can be an NFT artist. So, so how do you, how do you, you know, you're going to have a pool of hundreds of thousands of new people coming, some which are very, very talented that may honestly just not get seen, right? Like, like you said, you can only do so many tweets. And so to have people, multiple people start to kind of glom onto something. And I'm, I'm already kind of doing this in some way. I'm hacking. Super rare to do this today, where I I actually follow a bunch of people that buy the types of artists that I like, and then I look and I go through and I say, what are they buying, right? Yep. And in some sense, that's actually just that could just be a space, and I could just like go right there and see what they're buying and who they're representing, and 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 know who I should be getting into, and and th- that's awesome. W- when does the first one launch? So our target launch date for spaces is October 1st. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, hold me to a, a hard deadline there. Um, so we've, we've got a lot of the backend stuff figured out. And now really, I think the big challenge is just like, how does this manifest in like, what's the UX look like? Um, so that's probably the biggest question for us. Um, 
but you know, that gives us more or less six weeks. And so like, you know, we're, I think for us thinking about, okay, working with the council, get it, spending the next two weeks, getting all the governance tooling in place. And then that gives us a full month to work with people to help, you know, put forward really great proposals and yeah, and then kick it off. So yeah, we're super excited. The whole team is, is pretty pumped about it. I bet. Uh, so you had mentioned at some point that the fees go back to the DAO. How do, how do fee structures work now that you have this token? Yeah, so we're gonna we're having a community treasury that is governed by the DAO. We, we're rolling out the ideas to have developer grants, artist grants, and Super Labs, which is a, a distinct entity different from the DAO, is no longer collecting a fee there and is going to be working with the DAO to implement new protocol upgrades, new features that really are, you know, embarking on this path of progressive decentralization. So they're trying to actually implement what we love to go on Twitter and talk about. And when the fees come back in, so the treasury just grows at that point. So let's just say an X copy is sold typically in a standard pre DAO model, the percentage of revenue goes to your books as part of your PL. How does that change then? A percentage of that still goes back to the corporate entity or does all of it go to the DAO? Like, what, where, do, where do the fees get divided up? Yeah. So now all of it goes back to the DAO. So, yeah, we're really committing to, to decentralizing the whole platform. So it was, it was, it was a big, a big decision and a big step forward. But I think long term, it's, it's going to make it a much more powerful ecosystem uh, versus trying, you know, like we debated like, oh, maybe we sh- it should taper off or like what are other models there? But ultimately felt like it made a lot more sense to have it fully go straight to the DAO. This is a big change for you all. It's massive. It's yeah. We yeah. I mean, we've been talking about it for a while. Tried to condense it down into a, something digestible for the announcement. But yeah, you know, we we were kind of joking. We're like, we're launching Spaces. This is a huge feature. We're trying to decentralize the platform, right? Like thinking about like how should governance work? A massive product in and of itself bundled into the airdrop. We're also pretty massive platform changes. So lots lots of moving pieces there. Yeah. And another thing that you have announced is this idea of enabling artists to mint custom contracts. Walk me through that. Yeah. So this is actually an idea we've had, or just you know, generally our opinion was the platforms where an artist created a piece of art really didn't matter so much. That was sort of this like byproduct of you know, the limited technology that we were all working with. So early on for us, it was much easier to just have one smart contract with all the NFTs versus a smart contract dedicated to each artist. And, but we felt like it shouldn't matter. Artists should have hundreds of smart contracts they use or like it, that really shouldn't matter. And so this is just expanding upon that concept. We've actually had the infrastructure, so like multi smart contract support built for quite a while. And just this seemed like the right opportunity to say like, hey, instead of a super rare kind of like catch-all smart contract, you could now have a dedicated X-Copy smart contract. Or maybe X-Copy wants to have smart contracts for specific collections. Like, Mm. I think that idea is really interesting. And so, yeah, anyway, that's sort of like the, the motivation behind that. 
So you're thinking, in some sense, if they are writing their own contracts, they can do new and creative and interesting things that just wouldn't be possible with a generic contract. Is is that the thinking there? Yeah, exactly. So leaning into, so ensuring backwards compatibility, but then also leaning into the experimentation. So if there are special attributes or things that people want to put into the contracts, I imagine it'll be somewhat limited in the UI. But if you want to go down to the the bare metal and just directly integrate or interact with the APIs, there can be pretty pretty detailed uh, customization. That's really cool. In terms of artists joining, will they always now from this point forward have to go through a space to become a member of Super Rare, or will you still have a way for them to manually apply and and go through that the more traditional process that you have set up today? Yeah, so this is a very good question, something we discussed a lot internally. You know, and thinking about like the whole motivation behind this was scaling. And so scaling the existing model, one of some of the things we talked about, right? Like Dribble had their famous invite system. We're actually gonna be having so there's kind of like there's the DAO governance council, but then we're thinking what will happen is that we'll have like a essentially a, a sovereign artist like advisory panel of some sort where instead of us being a black box where you apply and like our curators review and then respond to you know the folks that they can having just like a more transparent process but still having a review process like i think that was a, something in thinking about it right like it felt important to still like to really try to maintain this high bar and so like how do you do that right like we didn't want to completely open up but maybe having this, we're calling it a panel internally, but just a group of folks w- reviewing applications just in a more kind of like open and transparent way than was happening before. That's great. Yeah, that, that must be one of the most difficult pieces to this entire puzzle is just the, how do you handle the scale that is the new artist coming on board? It's like there's got to be a ton of applicants coming in. Well, this is such such cool announcements. Anything else that we didn't cover? I mean, if someone wants to, they're not part of the airdrop, they didn't receive it, but they're a believer, they want to take part in the governance, they can purchase the rare token on Uniswap today. Uh, are there other plans for other exchanges? I'm, I'm assuming all the exchanges are probably hitting you up being like, will you list us? Like, how can we get, you know, listed? Yeah, so I what I think one of the best ways is to jump in the Discord and say hi. Like I think we're we're not actively reaching out to exchanges or anything, but the idea is that like, you know, a good chunk of tokens are going to the DAO and we're going to be trying to, you know, incentivize people to get involved in the community. So I think that's a great way for people to, you know, jump in the Discord, say hi. We're going to have the grants programs and then yeah, I'm 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 sure that things will make their ways to exchanges or whatever happens. But the best way to get rare tokens is to uh, you know, use Super Rare and jump in our Discord. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks for the update there. And let's uh, move on to some other topics. So what are your thoughts on fractionalization? This is, seems to be a hot topic these days where XCopy, for example, it's or any of your top artists, it's, it's expensive to, to purchase and own a one of one. But there's a world where someone says, hey, I can take this, I can lock it up in a smart contract, I can break it into fractions. And as a collector, I feel like I somewhat own a little piece of this. And I also participate in the upside should there ever be a future sale or a buyout on this um, piece of artwork. Is that a, a world that you all want to ever play in? Or is it something you're just kind of watching and seeing how it evolves? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And I think definitely we'll enter the space at some point. So it's also, you know, I think it's contentious no matter who you talk to. For me personally, I love the idea of fractionalization as opposed to having like numbered editions of the same piece of art. Like in my mind, it makes a little bit more sense since like, well, you can having like the sort of like one canonical manifestation of the piece of art. And then like that collectively being owned makes more sense than having like arbitrarily 50 editions or a hundred or an infinite number. That's just my personal opinion, but it's also very fun, you know, like being able to collectively own something with your friends is, I think it just makes the art more fun. And like, for me, that's been a big part of wanting to build super rare as well. Like one of my early sort of like qualms with the contemporary art market was like, I felt like it's artificially stifling its size because it's so exclusionary. And I get that the exclusion plays into the narrative a little bit. I was like, Mm -hmm. I think you could still have the high end luxury items, but have a much more open market where like, instead of having a few thousand people around the world who understand art collecting and enjoy it as a pastime, you could have millions of people around the world And it doesn't mean you can't have like a high end in that market. And so Mm -hmm. I think fractionalization, like you said, like I can't really afford a new Coldie piece or quite frankly, lots of the new art that comes out on the platform, right? Like I've been priced out personally for a little while now. And I think fractionalization is a very fun way to sort of add more liquidity to the market too, right? I think it's ultimately... If there's more liquidity in the market, we can support more artists. And I think it's a net positive for everyone. Yeah, I agree with that. It's it's interesting to try and kind of wrap your head around because I, I, I did some polls recently on Twitter where I was asking people what they preferred, like kind of more open edition where there's like 50 of something or 100 of something or owning a fraction of something. I I agree with you in that like, oh, well, I have a great example. I bought, I had a few friends that were like, hey, I, I don't really want to spend a lot of money on a CryptoPunk, but you know what? I've got an extra $5,000 to put into a CryptoPunk do you want to buy one as a group? And so a group of us got together, we all purchased the CryptoPunk, this was probably a year ago. And now we have this, this like mascot that is like, that are, we're always kind of like gathering around and talking about and kind of like championing on because it's like our thing. I feel like that's, yeah, that's kind of what you get with that fractionalization, right? You get this kind of like, group, like we're rooting for this. So this is our, this is our, our piece of art. And it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, it, like you said, like it's sort of, and I think that's like a lot of great products are like, there's this desire for humans to act a certain way. And so if you can, you know, productize that feature, right? Like having your friends be like, Hey, yo, I want to throw, f- I got five on it. Like, let's buy this thing together. Right. Like, that's fun. So yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities there. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. Well, it's it's great to hear you're your thinking about all those things. I'm curious on on just the the long term durability of the art in terms of storage, and I'm obviously super rare premiere. You're not going anywhere anytime soon, but like there's a lot of other platforms out there that may or may not last over the next you know decade or two. What what are your thoughts on on where do you store these things? Like we can't do it on chain, but there's IPFS, there's Arweave. Like what are you doing on that side, and how do you think about it? Yeah, it is very challenging. You know, the storage generally is a super interesting topic. We went with IPFS. I think it was 
also it was basically the only thing on the market when we launched. And there's also you know great features kind of built into IPFS, right? The the content hashing sort of like nature of the the product is super convenient. I'm also a big fan of Arweave. I think we were what's sitting on the sidelines for a while, like, well, let's wait and see. Like it's sort of it's permanent on chain so long as people are running nodes, right? Like right. the the blockchain's only permanent if everyone is still running their computers that support it. And I think this is another thing we've talked about is like, could you have an interesting torrent-like system where people can support the durability of the network, right? Like this is definitely not like a fully baked idea, but just like people who want to maintain redundant copies of the art itself, almost like a, so like application specific file coin or something, you know, Mm. like if you had just like this community really values this body of work. And so we're, we'll, we'll be willing to share our computers, maybe have some kind of like crypto economic incentive. Maybe it's just social incentive because the community can see like these early torrenting communities where it was like, Oh, your upload download ratio is three. Like right. you're a badass. Like what it, you could do, you know, pull on right. something like that. So I think long term it needs to. I mean, so I guess when people collect, you know, like we recommend every time, like I onboard somebody new, I'm like, you should absolutely download the file. Like it's not perfect right now. You know, so like keep re- redundant copies of the art are great. Like the token is very secure. The, the art's pretty secure, but like, it'll be more secure if you keep extra copies. And then like, long term, I see, you know, some kind of like, shared infrastructure. Um, yes. And you know, maybe I, that's our weave, or maybe it's something I bet you more could specific. build it on top of our weave. I, I guarantee you could build this on top of that where you're saying like, I get what you're saying. You're, you're, uh, you're saying, okay, well, our weave, I get that you're backing up data from all around the web. And that's a fantastic mission. But I want to join the super rare DAO that just backs up super rare data. And 5,000 other people all join and we've got our, our computers working at night. And it's just like, it's, it's just an extra layer of like, you could go out of business the next day and it wouldn't matter because all the yeah. pointers would be there and it would all be stored forever, right? And I think like collectively as a NFT community, we need to do that for all platforms and all, all projects because it's just like, it's going to be important at some point. You know what I mean? Like it's at some point, something is going to happen and thousands of or tens of thousands, or who knows how many works of art are going to be lost. And we can't rely on the Wayback Machine. <laughs> right. You know I mean? Ex- yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's important. It's not urgent. So it's like, it's probably not right. getting enough attention. But I totally agree. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're, have been chatting with the folks at Arweave for a while, like love, love the product. And so, yeah, I think that's an area where, we need more more attention. Yeah, there needs to be some type of like resolver where like you can say, because in the smart contract side, like if you bake in IPFS, that's great. But if IPFS goes away and then you're like, okay, now how can I append and add on? Are we, oh crap, I can't because it was in this original contract. I feel like there needs to be this like, this almost like DNS system to say, say where is the most recent and, and agreed upon hashed copy of this piece of art? that could yeah. traverse several different type of platforms. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It could be very interesting. Like if you, and I'm by no means like a chain link expert, but um, you know, some, like something like that, where it's like, you require sort of like outside agreement on something like the people running some type of node were like, 
here's a list of where you could go find this specific X copy. It's like, it's right. this specific torrent. Here's where it is on our weave. Here's right. our IPFS hash. And these should, should be up to date or something like that. Right. Be pretty exactly. Cool. And you, you get whichever one responds first. And then they kind of like pick, go down in the order. And if, if it was too out of, out of service, they become less reliable. They don't rank as high. And then, yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Really cool. Sweet. So just a couple more questions. I know you're a busy person, so I don't want to take up too much of your time, but real quick thoughts on other platforms. There's so many like, there's there's Tezos popping up with like Hen and Solana's got a bunch of new NFT stuff coming with insanely cheap minting rates because they're just like performant like crazy. Do you, do you, are you Ethereum for life? Like, or are you kind of looking at these other platforms and saying, huh, maybe I should, maybe we should consider some of our infrastructure or supporting some of these other kind of new emerging markets? Yeah, so also a great question. So we've kind of taken the sort of like, or what we've have like internally, what we call the architecture is kind of like artist centric. So like early on, we were like, what's important is X copy, right? It's like the end, you know, like a mainstream user is not really going to care if they have like counterparty tokens or tokens on Tezos or Ethereum tokens. Like maybe if you're like a power user and you're like really into, you know, digging a little deeper, that's going to be important. But like, you know, we were early on, we were like, it'd be sort of like if you're thinking about like, well, how sturdy is the canvas that this painting is on? Is it, right. it going to last for a hundred years or 200 years? So, you know, that always seemed a little bit silly. And so like, yeah, I think our our roots are in the Ethereum ecosystem. I think my personal opinion is that it probably has the best chance right now to becoming like a like a truly decentralized smart contract platform. But by no means do I think it's like not worth kind of like looking at where our artists experimenting and indexing that art and adding it to their body of work. So yeah, I think it's it's awesome to see the work that's happening on Tezos with Hen. I'm excited to hear Solana's got a lot of things that they're working on. There's like, you know, Binance Smart Chain, like not my personal uh, favorite, but like there's artists who I love who are like potentially minting there. So it's like, I think the art's interesting. So yeah, I, yeah. Anyway, I think we'll, we'll be uh, sort of uh, cross chain or potentially chain agnostic unless you like really want to like dig into the, the details. Yeah. Awesome. This is this has been great. But before we, we go, and this is, might be an impossible question for you to answer, but because as how do you pick your favorite child? But I, I'm curious, you, you probably get this at any dinner party or whatever, but what are your, without, without saying one's better than the other, what are your, who are your favorite artists on Super Rare? And are there any kind of up and comers that you are keeping a close eye on? Yeah, it's a very challenging question. Let's see up and comers that are my favorites. It's got to be hard. It's yeah. It's so really, I'm like scrolling through right now as we're talking. There's so many, so many really cool pieces of art on here. I mean, so I think like, I don't like to pick favorites, but just, uh, you know, one of the things my wife and I like to do is kind of like browse through super air and like work on the collection together. And I mean, she's by no means an up and comer, but Jenny Sue, just like the sort of the, the pop art, is, is one of our favorites. And Neurocolor is in Mexico City. Again, I'd say like, I don't know, crypto art moves so fast. So like, they're sort of established, but 
incredible, incredible artist. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll just leave it there with two. And next time you have me on, I'll, I'll do a little bit more homework and have have some some more favorites for you. Yeah, sounds good. Last question from just a fanboy standpoint. I love I love X Copy. I'm not sure if you're an X Copy fan of of his stuff, but have you ever had a chance to correspond with or talk to him directly? Yeah. So actually, I was lucky enough to meet X Copy in person. Oh, and crazy! Have a, have a burger and a beer the same time we were in. London for the Christie's show. Oh, that is awesome. Cause I don't know. Yeah. You're the only person I know that's actually met him in person. Yeah. He X copies an amazing human. So yeah, if you get the chance to hang out with them uh, in London, highly suggest it. It was, uh, yeah. And actually one of the cool things about X copy, like I had been following him pre super rare and had seen that he had done some experiments on other kind of like blockchain art, like selling digital editions before. And so I was like, it was very exciting. It was like, this is fucking perfect. Like you've got these super incredible gifts, like they're terrifying yet. I can't stop looking at them. And like, I, I just want to have more of them. And so, yeah, anyway, He's also one of my favorites, I think. He's certainly going down in the art history books, whether they like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it is very I, I showed my wife a few of them and and some of them, you know, are a little like you can't stare at them for too long because they're just so in your like shockingly like there's a lot of flashing, a lot going on, and then others are just absolutely beautiful and some are weird and they're just all over the place. It's it's a, a beautiful mixture of all the different emotions and weirdness that is art, which is what I love. Yeah, um, 100%. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. If people want to find you, obviously, everyone knows the website, but where, where can people follow what you're up to? Do you, do you tweet a lot? Yeah, I think a good place to connect is on Twitter. So Super Air John. And yeah, I think just you know DMs are open. So feel free to slide in. Fantastic. Well, thanks for being on the show. Absolutely, Kevin. Thanks for having me. All right, that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And a friendly reminder, this is a brand new show. So the number one thing you can do is tell your friends. And also, if you have a moment, head on over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. That's it for now. Take care. Mm-hmm.